it's ended. All right, folks, here we are. It is a Wednesday night, which is super peculiar, and we're in a brewery sitting down having some beers, having a sampler, per se, of some delicious beers. And I've got with me... My name is Brendan Souter. I'm the owner and operator of Range Project Group International, also known as RPGI. Sweet. And a um, little bit of background on this guest. Military guy, Army, SF, recently retired. So you already know what this podcast is going to be about. Um, highlighting our, our veteran military local guys that are doing work and talking about that transition out of the military um, and, and how it's going and some of the success stories. I've had some guys on in the past that talk about um, either the transition was easy because they had, they had set themselves up or, you know, it was just, hey, I'm getting out of the Army. I'm not resigning. What am I going to do now? Um, so what I'd like to do first off is just kind of um, – kind of go over the 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 warm-up questions so when you're getting ready to shoot a match or you're getting ready to put on a match do you have any match superstitions like like you won't do this or you have to do this or something's got to be in your kit or you got to have your lucky your lucky holster or anything yeah you know that's a good question i think superstition so if you think about it when you go to a match you know what you want to try to do in training is you want to try to train things that are harder than what you're going to face in the match. So you'll do a little research on what the match is going to be, you know, whether it's a three-gun or if it's two-gun, USPSA, and you start thinking about the things you're going to face in that. Try to replicate that, you know, before the actual match. The thing that I like to do before I go to the match, one, I like to get some good sleep. You know, there's nothing, th- there's nothing in this world worse than, like, going out partying the night before or getting crappy sleep and then going, going out to a match. So you need to stay hydrated, get some good rest. And then making sure that all my gear, I'm very, very meticulous on my gear. I want it to be, like, ready to go. So if you look in the match emails that I would send out to folks, I'd say, hey, you know, show up with all your gear prepped, ready to go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's like a novel. Like, I've, I've shot a lot of matches, not necessarily your matches, but I've shot a lot of matches, whether it be two-gun or USPSA or whatever. Like, I don't get those emails from other match directors. We, we do that because there's a lot of people that are coming out these matches that, you know, we we open these matches to anybody. We want all walks of life to come. And I think it's important that we kind of put these guys in the right frame of mind before they come out there and, Hey, I'm missing this. I don't have that. Oh, Hey, you're getting a stage brief. Oh, I got to load my mags. Like nobody come out there, everything jammed up, ready to go. And I do that. I've been doing that for the last six, six or seven years. And it's been a really good thing. Cause you know, the feeling you get when you show up to a match and it's just, your nerves are up. You're looking for people that you know, so you can shake hands and drop down, you know, that, that nervousness about it. But the one thing I do uh, also is I'll try to find out if there's a, a place that I can do like a warm-up, like a warm-up bay. And uh, there's a signature drill that we, that we run out at the farm. We got this from Casey Osabio. It's called the 20 Alpha Drill. Whether you're shooting a two-gun or, you know, a USPSA match, you do this drill and make sure that your gun is running right. You know, it's, uh, it's four strings of five rounds, right? Make sure that the gun is running right and you're pressing triggers, you're getting that, you know, recoil management, and now your nerves are down before the match starts. Apply a light coat of uh, COP on your guns, man, you're ready to go. So I think that that's always a good thing. And then the other thing that we do, we've been getting incorporated into the matches now for my shooters, is that we do uh, a dynamic warm-up. 
it looks goofy when you're out there trying to look cool. <laughs> but, man, holy shit, you know, it's like, hey, we're out here doing yoga on the range, you know, doing some jogging and all that jazz. But, you know, you, you show you're limbered up, you know, at that point, your mm -hmm. gun's running, you're in the right frame of mind, and, and you're ready to do business. And I think that's kind of not superstition per se, but definitely preparation. It's everything out okay. there for the matches. So, actually, my next question is match gear prep. So, what are you doing with with your kit? Because so for the listeners, like you're you're not a long gunner. You're more of a USPSA, PPC, um, AR type match guy. Two right. gun, three gun type of type of shooting, right? Yeah, and it's a lot easier now. You know, a three gun. So I took over three gun nation about uh, hell. I don't know. Like three years ago, when COVID kicked off, you know, Three Gun Nation had kind of like dwindled down. I was actually the match coordinator for the very last Three Gun Nation Nationals here in Holt, and uh, eventually ended up taking that over. I got the Three Gun trailer; you can see it out. Yep, Holt. I saw it out there. I was like, "What's that doing out here?" Yeah, yeah. So that's that's ours now. And um, what's cool is like, you know, when you had Three Gun, you had to address the shotgun, the rifle, the pistol. Right. Uh, this area, Three Gun, just didn't seem to catch on. Um, so two gun was a thing, you know, and that's kind of how we started. But, you know, the match prep, if you got a long gun, when I'm saying long gun, when I'm saying long gun, I mean right. like AR, and it's different for you. But, you know, hey, check your zero. What's the best zero to have? You know, depends on what you're shooting, you know, what kind of optic you're shooting, mm -hmm. what kind of reticles in that optic, what kind of ammunition you want to run. What is the match about, right? If the match is 300 yards and in and a 50-yard zero is not a bad deal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, making sure you're – your rifle is actually zeroed for what you're going to face. Um, it's always a good thing. Making sure you have bags, you know, bipods, things that you would need. Uh, and then your handgun. A lot of guys shoot handguns now. You probably can't go to a range without finding, you maybe find a few people that have iron sights on their handguns, but most of the time it's a red dot. So what do you do? You got to make sure that red dot's zeroed as well. Yep. Um, and then you go through your magazines, you pull them apart, and then you brush them. If, Unless you're like some of us, you know, we're like, hey, I've, I've been shooting this since 1986. It's never jammed. And then you get right in a major match. And it's like, oh, my God, my magazine jammed. Oh, wait, I'm not zeroed. Oh, yep. So there's the things that will bite you in the ass. But, uh, you know, most of that. And, and what's really cool about that in going to equipment prep, it's really it comes out in your training. So if you think about it, the, the days before the match comes, like you should be out there beating on your equipment and checking your equipment. You clean it. You shoot it again. You load it up, you download it, you're making sure that everything, all the springs are right, you know, surface rust, Florida, right? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So those are the things that you got to do, man. And, and uh, so far, that's been very, very good for us, you know, to, to kind of impart on the shooters and ourselves. You know, we have a we have a shooting team as well, so. Right. But, yeah, man. Hell, yeah. Hobbies other than shooting. All right, dude. So hobbies other than shooting. This is like a really hard question that somebody from another organization government type asked me and it was really hard to answer but i love hiking um being here in florida it's not yeah uh, not, yeah i've been to the highest point in florida it's yep. not that impressive no no man it's so, a hill just north of laurel hill that's it yeah that's <laughs> it man and i i think that uh you know hiking and backpacking and whatnot's always been a good thing and then traveling like i love to i love to meet people you know immerse myself in the culture with uh with folks and and kind of kind of get out there and grip and grin with folks and all that so i think it's i think hiking and definitely travel would be you know let's say hobbies of mine okay shooting now this is an interesting one because i probably don't know who the person that you're going to say is but person you want to squad with at your next match like next time you go shoot a match whatever right. kind of match that is who's the person you want to squad with well right now uh 
one of my teammates has been like spirit animal for me, right? It's okay. like a good luck charm. Uh, and that's, she's actually a female shooter. She's a junior shooter, but she is a beast. Her name is Ashlyn Champagne. Uh, she's an upcoming USPSA, like, grandmaster type, you know. Well, yeah, she beat the crap out of all of us. Yeah, everybody, night. right? So whenever that whenever that girl's in that squad and we're, like, we're trying to, like, compete against each other, mm-hmm. like, it's nothing but success. And I feel like, man, it's, like, it's really good to have her there, you know, like, driving, you know, driving that. So I think it's cool. And then uh, there's some others, you know, some other folks, like one of, my, uh, one of my other really good friends. He hasn't made a lot of the matches because he just had a baby. But uh, Jesse Rodriguez, and it's really just for the shit talk aspect. Oh yeah, you know he's a former uh, former 18 Zulu. You know he was a team star when I was a team leader, and uh, just having Jesse around too is just like you know again another thing, spirit animal. So I would say those two, you know, but definitely Ashlyn because she drive man, she will drive you if you're not on it. If you're not on it, she'll get you. Oh yeah, you know, she, like I saw her video that she posted of the stuff at the match, and I was just like, no wonder why she won. Like killer. I was taking like 35 seconds on stages. She was taking like 14 seconds on stages. It was crazy. Like to it watch. was ridiculous. Yeah, like the first stage. I think the first two stages, I looked at uh, her dad and I was like, "Yeah, she's gonna win this match. That's crazy fast." Yeah, she so. was. She was killing it. Uh, match you want to attend that you haven't? Uh, okay, so there's a couple right now, and they're USPSA so matches. There's one I'm signed up for right now. It's in Texas. It's called the uh, I think it's a Dragons Cup. Okay. And uh, that is supposed to be, like, one of the best – Yeah, people say that's one of the best USPSA matches that they've had so far that they've seen. Uh, the other one is World Shoot, you know, for Ipsic. I wanted to shoot PCC Worlds. Um, they keep changing the location. It's Ipsic, so Ipsic and USPSA. Ipsic, yep. the father, USPSA, you know, generally. Stepchild. So, yeah. Right. So, you know, Ipsic's all over the world, you know, and I've been shooting Ipsic in these other countries, but, man, I want to shoot the World Shoot. You know, with PCC, it's how I stack up against, right? You know, the the guys in the world. You know, that's kind of what I'm looking at. But definitely haven't done that yet. And I want to kind of get, you know, get that going. Yeah. So, what is your PCC gun? So the PCC that I got right now, I got a Breckett Customs upper. Um, I have a KE Arms lower. I'm left-handed, right? Okay. So it was hard for me to make it GM when we did the classifiers because I could never change a magazine fast enough on that PCC because I was always coming back with my support hand to go back and get the magazine release. So KE Arms actually makes a lower that has an ambidextrous, you know, okay. magazine release for left-handed shooters. So once I did that, the next time I went to a classifier, I just I made GM. That was like literally just a fucking mag change. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> you know, and uh, ran a hyperfire trigger in there. Got the hyperfire clips. Um, I got a Seymour red dot um, that's on a Unity tactical riser. We do that. The reason why we do that is because you can you can keep your head up a little bit. Head up higher. Yeah, yeah. It's and like the one nine three mounts on exactly on ARs. Exactly. So heads up ball game. You know, I could transition to targets. I could kind of keep keep my head on the swivel a little bit easier versus staying way down in the optic. But that's what I'm running right now, and uh, it works really good. I think I've had uh, great success. I have a Ken shot buffer in there as well. Okay. Um, and then I'm running Callaway ammo one fifteen factory new, and that thing is like you know it's pushing like one hundred forty five power factor, and it's just so smooth, man. I can make it sound like a machine gun when I'm out there on the farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, quick. I got my buddy to uh, to get a bunch of Callaway ammo, and he's he's been really happy with it. Yeah. They make great ammo, man. I mean, I I wasn't – I didn't, like, actually seek them out. There was a time where I had – hell, man, I think I had, like, four 55-gallon uh, drums of brass. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting on we, it. Like, we all have that problem. Dude. I got them at the house right now. <laughs> and I was like, hey, we, we could change it out for, uh, you know, ammo credit. And I was like, whoa, man, that's a great idea. 
you know. I was like, well, I go up there and I take this stuff up there to change it out for ammo. And, uh, you know, they give me, I think at the time it was like almost $2 a pound because it's all clean brass, you mm-hmm. know. No no steel, any of that shit. And, uh, dude, like I came out of there with a, a bunch of ammo, training ammo, and uh, I saw the whole operation, you know, the way that they – QCQA everything and it's a small op but like it's a great you know it's a great bunch of folks in there like and they're not bypassing anything they're not just kind of willy-nilly so the ammo the quality is great uh, it's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. yeah the QC's there yeah it's it's actually there versus other things I have seen other operations and I'm like man this is actually really good nice. so I support those guys awesome yeah. alright so end of the lightning round so tell us a little bit about yourself I only met you like I've known that you were running matches out at out at Element mm-hmm. with RPGI. I'm dyslexic, so I have to spell it out super slow. Um, my first match as you as the match director was last year's new. It, that was on New Year's Eve. Yeah, blackout match. Had a great time. Came back for this one. Um, didn't know my friends were showing up. Yep. Um, so I got to hang out and see those guys that live out in Alabama. That was super fun. Um, what did your military career look like? Like, where are you from? Like, what in- inspired you to join the Army? Did you go straight 18 series? Um, or did you start with the MOS cross-train? Like, mm-hmm. give me the give me the origin story. Yeah, man. Um, I think I've told the story, like, four times in the last couple of weeks. But uh, And it may change every time, just a little bit. But, you know... I'm a small town no guy. No shit there I was. Yeah, no shit there I was. No, hey, but no shit there I was. Um, all right, so I'm from Culpeper County, Virginia. Um, it's probably a place that you've never heard of. Nope. And, you know, it's a small town. It's a farm town. I grew up on a farm out there. I used to have cows, horses, chickens. I mean, dude, we, we had 100 acres, and we whittled it down to about 20 acres before my parents sold the place. And um, for me... My idea was to join the Army when I was 17. My dad wanted me to go to college and play football. I was a football player in high school. Okay. I had some, you know, significant offers to go play, you know, at other colleges and all that. And I wanted to join the Army, you know. And my dad wanted me to go to college, play ball, and come back and run his businesses, uh, you know, contracting and all that, building houses. So um, he didn't say yes to the recruiter when I was 17. Um I, I ended up graduating, and I was kind of just, like, floating around, like, doing odds and ends job, building decks and all that, and helping my dad out, too. And one day, I remember it would rain probably for about a week straight. had no work. And I was living with a guy in this apartment. I had to pay this guy rent, you know? I'm like, holy shit, what am I going to do, right? So I'm flipping through all these business cards, and uh, a gold card, you know, kind of <laughs> fell out, right? And it was, uh, it said Staff Sergeant Bendit, you know, U.S. Army recruiter, right? And I was like, holy shit. And I remember this guy because he used to say, uh, he'd shake your hand. He goes, hey, Staff Sergeant Bendit, don't break it. And I was like, man, what is this? <laughs> you know, he was, a, he, was a, he was a nurse in the Army, you know? And um, a cool guy, though. He looked like G.I. Joe, you know? I mean, the dude looked like he was an Army Ranger, but definitely a nurse. And... Um, Cool guy, can't say anything bad about him. The guy was really positive, uh, really positive influence in my life too. So I call him, I call Staff Sergeant Bendit at the time, and uh, I was like, hey, it's Souter. He goes, oh, hey, what's up, Souter? And I'm like, hey, I'm ready to join right now, you know? And uh, that dude came and met me at a McDonald's, and I went to MEPS and processed, and I got, it, I got a uh, 11 Bravo Ranger contract. Okay. And uh, dude, holy shit, didn't tell anybody I was joining the Army. I just <laughs> rolled out. And, you know, imagine this is 2001. I roll out before 9-11. Okay. Join the Army to be a Ranger. 
don't tell anybody. My first phone call home was to my parents after 9-11, like, like 9-12, right? <laughs> and I'm like, hey. So you were in boot camp? I was in basic, yes. I was in basic training, and uh, I, was get, I was in, uh, what is it, CQB training, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when the tower said it was in CQB training. And uh, called, and they're like, hey, what, why are you in Fort Benning? What's the deal? What's this? What's that? It's like, oh, I joined the Army. And they're like, no, get out of there. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to be a Ranger. And they're like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's it. You know, and then I went, I ended up, you know, graduating, went to Airborne School, went to RIP, which is Ranger Indoctrination Program. Uh, got stationed at 175 in Savannah, Georgia, right? Yep. And uh, I was there in the line, and I went to Afghanistan, uh, went to Iraq. And, uh, man, I, I, was, I was very blessed to have the company that I had, man. I, the guys were great. You know, we lost some guys out there and shit like that. Um, you know, a lot of things went down, but, you know, very fortunate to have that experience, you know. And then, you know, fast forward, I was like, hey, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to college. So I, uh, I volunteered. I did recruiting. You know, and uh, I did recruiting for a year, and I, I signed up for these three college classes, right? If anybody's listening to this, just please pay attention. Uh, <laughs> I'm already smiling. <laughs> oh, dude. So here it is. I'm like, oh, man, recruiting's easy. It wasn't easy. It was it was crazy, crazy hard. And uh, I failed my first three college classes using the U.S. Army's TA, uh, tuition assistance program. Guess what I had to do? Pay it all back. Pay it all back. So I was like, well, college ain't for me. That's seven fifty a class yeah, dude. times three, yeah. everybody. Oh, man. So I paid that money back, and uh, I went to SFAS instead of going back to regiment. I was supposed to go right back to range regiment. Right. And this is a really cool story, by the way. So at the time, this guy named uh, Master Sergeant Lagnetto, which is now, I guess he's a sergeant major, maybe retired. He was the LNO at Ranger Regiment. And okay. He calls me and says, like, hey, Souter, man, we got to. We got, we're going to get you going back to 1st first, uh, first Battalion, and we're going to put you in CCO again and all this. You ready, buddy? I'm like, yeah, hey, Roger Sarton. And I'm all motivated and shit. Well, I met a, uh, a guy from uh, – it was Special Forces and now working, like, in the agency. Mm-hmm. I met him up at Fort Meade. Just happenstance, right? And he goes, hey, man, you know what you should do? You should go Special Forces, man, and then you come over by us. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. So what do I do? You know, I call up, you know, Master Sergeant Lagnetto. I was like, hey, Master Sergeant, guess what? I'm going to SFAS. <laughs> Dude, this guy completely did a 180. He's like, hey, listen up, motherfucker. If you don't make it, you're going to Korea, Roger. I was like, whoa. Click, hangs up. And I'm still talking to him. He's like, nope, he hung up. So guess what? I go to SFAS. You got to fucking make it. Because if you don't, you know, I'm going to go to the regular army. And I was not made to be in the regular army, brother. I can tell you that. I was not a haircut, boots, you know, uniform kind of guy. So I mean... I am not in the army, and I haven't been in the Ranger Regiment. But like, they already hold standards pretty, really pretty good, tight. Yeah. So I would think going to the regular army would be almost a step down in like rigidness. Yeah. But an uptick in like stupidity. Admin, yeah, admin, all the, you know. You have to sit in the motor pool till like, yeah, 1700 the, because we can't let you go because you're not adults. Right, and, and you're not going to get rewarded for being, like, uh, the best shooter, the best, you know, assaulter, the best. PT guy. Yeah, like. yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I had buddies that went off, and they went crazy until they went to SF, mm-hmm. you know, being in the 82nd or, you know, 3rd ID. They're like, man, until I got to SF, I was losing my mind. Right. But, uh, you know, Range Regiment was a great place, man. It was a great place to grow up. Uh, that's basically my background, you know, Ranger Regiment. I did like a year of recruiting, tried to go to college, and I went to SFAS, and I ended up going to uh, 
And what is SFAS? It's a Special Forces uh, Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Okay. And that's that's essentially it's a one month course to kind of say, hey, you are you know trainable to be a Green Beret. Right. And uh, you know once you get that done and they select you, if you're lucky and you do the work and you get picked, you'll go to the Q course, right, qualification course, and mm -hmm. that's a uh, depending on what your you know your your job is i got picked to be an 18 bravo which is a weapon sergeant weapon sergeant i got yeah. a weapon sergeant in spanish and the original pick check this out the original pick was uh i think it was 18 delta and i got mandarin chinese and i had a friend i had a friend at swick and i was like hey man hey you got to get me out of this shit <laughs> he's like what i was like i don't want to be a medic i want to be a weapon sergeant and uh i want to speak spanish you know and he's like okay all right you know, so uh, I, I got 18 Bravo and went to the Q course. And, and uh, my Q course experience was probably very, very different from everybody else because all the guys from regiment, we walked on water. Like there was, I, dude, I swear to you, there was nothing. I, I probably could have got kicked out of the Q course like five times. And like, But, like, they treated us like gold. They, they let us, you know, they let us teach the SUT course, the small unit tactics. My instructor, you know, uh, he kind of just walked up. He's like, hey, you guys, you rangers, teach your uh, – teach your buddies how to do, uh, you know, small unit tactics. How to do this. You know, so we pulled out a Ranger handbook, and we're like, hey, cool, let's do it. Let's knock it out. Like, you guys already know battle drill one through whatever by the back of your hand because yeah. you've been in regiment. It was it was freaking awesome. So I got treated like gold in the Q course. It was academically, there were some things that were kind of tough because I think they do that. They have to do that, you know. Um, there was some physical stuff in there. That's, but, man, if you're like a ex-Ranger guy or ex-Infantry guy, the, the physical stuff is nothing, you know, and at that point you just – right stay in shape keep your body you know healthy and then you know study so get through the q course and i got a is sign. there a lot of studying in that because like everything yeah. that you see like you see the the discovery channels like oh like to be a navy seal and to like ranger and cct all these special warfare guys but you never see like the classroom aspect of it well, dude so yeah. like what is that classroom aspect so when you're in mos phase like so i was an 18 bravo we had to study like all like foreign weapons right we had right. to know like the nomenclature how to like take them all the way apart put them all the way back together diagnose what the problems were we had to use uh we had to learn mortar like how to lay a mortar like in laying a mortar isn't just like hey let's put this base plate and put a tube on the ground and drop a mortar around into it i mean you have to do math you have oh, to yeah. get a plotting board. You have to use ballistic computers, and and there's all these things. So you azimuth versus azimuth. Yeah, like. yeah, dude. So it was a lot of shit. And then, uh, fi uh you know, uh, call for fire. We had to learn to call for fire as well. It's mm -hmm. 18 Bravo. So 18 Bravo stuff. You know, study all that. The 18 Deltas have it the worst. The 18 Deltas. Dude, are that going course is so long. So long, right? So That's those like guys a very year academic. to almost two years. Yeah, and I I used to take that for granted till uh you know till later on I went to the warrant course and I went to the intel course. And all that, there was a lot of tests, and it was very, very academic. And everybody who was getting cut from these courses, it wasn't because, oh, they can't PT, or like, man, they, they just weren't in the books. They weren't studying. And, uh, I mean, a lot of that, you know, was college-level, like, study. You know? Right. But, it's uh, not a gentleman's course. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and for me, I appreciated uh, – I had a friend of mine, Chris Schweitzer. Uh, he was on my ODA. I ended up going back to college, by the way. Uh, but this guy, he made it impossible – for me not to go, you know, on a long, long trip to Afghanistan. He goes, hey, man, are you using your TA? He's like, I already tried that, buddy. It, <laughs> it was really bad. And he goes, hey, well, uh, I got your first three books. Sign up for this class and sign up for this. And I was like, no, I don't know. He was like, hey, let me see your shit. He signs me up for, like, three classes, and he mentors me through, you know, my first three. So I got my associate's degree uh, early on, you know, what was it, 2008? No, 2009 or 10. 
And, uh, you know, Chris, this guy, man, he's just straight up. He's like, hey, I already, got, I already bought these books so you could use mine. He made it almost where I couldn't say no to it. Right. And then I just got into the books and then, you know, ended up getting a bachelor's degree from uh, from college and stuff like that. Online, obviously, because you can't, you know. Y- you can't. Yeah, you can't do that shit. You, like. can't, do, you can't do that, especially with you guys' ops tempo and yeah. training. And, like, I'm getting a taste of that being at Herbie. Like, oh, dude, it's wild. Stuff pops up. Like, I walked in after the holiday break and I look at the calendar. I was like, what is this training that I'm going to yeah. in Jacksonville? Like, Stay no, busy. No notice. They're like, oh, yeah, we need you to go RSO training. I was like, well, I guess I'm the guy to do it. But, you know, the thing is, man, like, you know, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot. When you get out, when you get out, you're going to miss that. And it's going to like, oh, my God, I'm going to get all this time back. But then it's going to be you're going to have that urge to go, and, and uh, there's nowhere to go. And I'll, I'll probably get to that a little bit later. But, yeah, so, you know, get to SF, and I go to this team, and it's a, they call it an ASOT team. Right. Okay. Advanced where casual. did you Where did you go after you got out of Q course? Seventh group. Se- you yeah. went to seventh. Was that when it was at Fort Bragg? Bragg. Okay. Yeah. And that team they called it like an ASOT team, which was basically a, a preparation environment. You know, using uh, different techniques to like prep the environment. You know, downrange and uh, I. So almost like an advon team to the rest of your kind of to yeah, the ODA kind of like okay. intelligence focus kind of okay. stuff, right? So, um, but. Definitely, man. It was it was a humble pie. There was guys there that were like, this is the b- before like SF really changed a lot. There were still old guys there. Mm-hmm. You know, the old ODAs had old guys. Right. And man, they like they couldn't PT for shit, but god damn, they were smart and they mm-hmm. were so insightful. And you're like, holy cow, man. These guys are just, you know, rock stars and you know, in their own light. And uh, I just remember talking to guys who had been around for a while. You know, these guys had 18 years in the army. You know, they've been on the team for five or six years, you know, and it was here I am, brand new guy. You know, obviously I went to combat and all that, but, like, I, dude, I respected the hell out of these dudes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, so I get there, and, and the team, we had these guys for a little bit. The team changed out. First mission was Paraguay, and that was where I was like, oh, it was the first taste of team life and what this is about. And um, very different. So, you know, do that for a little bit, um, and then I go to Afghanistan on a – you know, on an 18-month-long mission, I rotated into that uh, three times, you know, doing, you know, full beard, man jams. 18-month? Uh, well, back and forth. So I ended up doing, I think, I think 13 out of the 18 months or something like that. That's pretty long for, a, like, an ODA rotation, right? Right. We just held that mission for 18 months, and uh, mm. we had a sister team doing the same thing. And uh, that was super interesting. I never felt more like an SF guy on that because, again, we were using – uh, basically using the preparation environment techniques to kind of navigate that that side of Afghanistan, if you will, right, and, and uh, kind of get ready for, you know, something bigger that would happen. And I uh, can't really talk too much about that, but well, at the end of the naturally. day, like super, super, like, privileged to be able to do that. The guys I was working with were some of the best, you know, the NRHC guys were some of the best. I mean, it was very, very – I felt – I was like, holy shit, how did I get to be able to do this, you know? Right. And uh, just very privileged to be able to be a part of that. Uh, and I never forget my guys on my team, you know, and the things that happened out there. It was just some of the craziest things happen out there because um, you're, you know, your ass was in the wind. You weren't running around in a gun truck, you know. Right. You know, is there any, like, with that, you're saying you were out there, is there any mission that you can talk about to give us, like, an example of 
your shit being out in the wind? Like, yeah, for sure. Just I walk mean, us through something like that. So uh, we would do a lot of meetings with like you know local guys, and uh, we had this one contact uh, on the Iranian border. This is just a for you know. We're speaking generalities, but right. So we make our way up there, and mind you, we're not riding around in Humvees, up armor, stuff like that. We're riding around in Sriracha's and like and like jingle trucks, and yeah, like, we're looking like shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're out there looking like shit. Um, you know, with X wing, you know, X wing antennas and stuff like. Hey, we're just here. You know, um, God bless. And um, <laughs> we get all the way to the border, and we have this meeting with this uh, border. I guess he was a border patrol. Or, I don't know, with Afghan border security guy. It's pretty high up, and. Um, you know, so we go in and we got security outside, kind of like local security. We got our Afghan dudes. We call them our PSD, and uh, you know, and then one of us or two of us were out there. And I remember the Afghan flag was right side up. And what they did was to signal the Iranians, they turned it fucking upside, upside down. down. So we do this long meeting. We got guys in there doing all this stuff. We're trying to figure out like, you know, things and stuff, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> and, stuff uh, and things. My bro, favorite. We came outside. And we go get back in the trucks, and we're going back towards the uh, the fire base. It's like a four-hour, five-hour ride. Um, man, the Iranians had pulled up like, fuck, I don't know, 20 trucks with guns on them <laughs> to the border. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we are toast. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do? You just slow roll out of there. Just hope to God that they don't open a fire because, like, you know, hey. Yeah, you're not an up armor. Nothing, dude. Nothing. Ass in the wind, right? So, but uh, those – those are some that's just one example of that you know that kind of thing and and uh i always think about that it's like holy crap and then one other time in that mission so this is another time too where i'll say some like i can talk about this i talked about it uh i talked about it in another podcast but you know there was uh i had afghani security guards right and one guy had laid his life on the line for us his name was hazrat and uh, he had a brother, same, you know, working in the same camp for us. And great folks, man, like really, really good dudes. Well, there was a guy who was an insider, uh, like an insider threat that was our, also on our Afghan security. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was the guy responsible for vetting. So I, would, I got trained like a DECA to do the poly and like the little thing called a PCAST device that teaches, you know, if somebody's lying or not. Yeah. Jazz. But, you know, I vetted this guy. I ran all his shit. And he came back green. Well, that dude uh, took a gun off the, the guard shift, took an AK, and was going back saying his final prayer before he was about to shoot us up. Uh, the guy, Hasrat, follows him back and confronts him. My Terp and I are right outside the fucking door. I'm armed with a fucking Glock 26, my Terp uh, with, a, with a Makarov. And then it's just like close-range firefight time. You know, Hazrat and this other guy, they just smoke each other from like three feet away and just peel back. And we're just so confused, like, what's happening? And my turp and I, we close the distance, see what's going on, kick the guns away. We have no idea who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. And we load two bodies into the back of a Hilux pickup truck, get them to the uh, the medic station. Uh, the good guy, Hazrat, dies on the operating table. I fucking got my hands in his fucking guts. It's nuts. The other dude uh, gets medevaced up to uh, uh, Harat survives and fucking escapes the hospital before we could push intel out like hey that dude is a taliban right you know kind of guy and uh you know it's just wild man i mean dude you know and inside that camp you know you know we're trusting these guys to guard us and all that shit and we run around you know pistols and all that yeah pistol versus ak come on man yeah not gonna win you know and uh this dude I always you don't bring it you don't bring a, a handgun to a rifle fight he saved us man i mean hazrat saved our lives i mean there was uh shit 12 team guys in there and then you know, all the Afghani guys who were helping us out. So, you know, one AK could have just, 
wreck shop, you know. I mean, that's 30 rounds of yeah. a hate and discontent in a small area. Yeah. like super, super small area. So uh, I always think back to Haas Rotman. I always give him praise. And uh, his brother is still out there in Afghanistan uh, running around somewhere. God bless him, man. I hope he's okay. But, you know, that's something else that I could I can obviously share because I've talked about it before and, and it's nothing, you know, classified or anything like that. But, yeah, man. So then SF, right? So then we get back. Um, get back from that. So that was like 18, 13, 18 months of rotating mm -hmm. in and out doing ASOT stuff. Yeah, dude. I would literally, I would literally leave. I would leave by myself. The first time I went with my team, and I would rotate by myself. So I went, I rotated out by myself. Got a bird, like went here, went there, hopped to Germany, flew back to the states, and then like, oh, well, I want to go back. Okay, cool. Go back. Find my way to Baltimore. Get on a bird. Go to Germany. Go to you know wherever else. And then find my way back into the camp, you know, running the same same op. And uh, that was really cool, man. So then, you know, we get back from that. I do another down south rotation, which brings me to Charlie 37. Okay. I was a Sephardic grad. I went to and South down south, you mean the South America stuff? South America. That Seventh yeah. Group is primarily known yep. for? So we operated primarily in South and Central America and the Caribbean. And uh, I got lucky enough to get assigned to Charlie 37. I was a Sephardic grad. Um, Sephardic a, is Special Forces Advanced Reconnaissance. Oh my God, a lot of acronym things. Basically, it's the Special Forces CQB course. It teaches you hostage rescue, direct action. Okay. And now heavy breaching. But uh, it's a school for all of what used to be known as the Commanders and Extremist Force. Yep. Which used to be the known CRIF. as the CRIF, and now is the it was the Hard Target Defeat Company, and I think they're going back to the CRIF. <laughs> yeah. So like. Because we we can't make up our minds. No, we can't make our minds up. But the greatest dude, the greatest company ever. And I'm going to tell you, like, uh, a lot of people will talk about Delta Force and uh, SC6 and all that. But Delta Force guys and fucking SEAL Team 6 guys can't speak Spanish or Portuguese. And they don't know how to fucking work with the locals. Not all the time. I'm not saying anything negative about them. But there's just something special about I mean, your guys', guys. primary role is to go in there and train up local forces. Like, yeah. That's... No, imagine. That's part of your guys' mission statement, if if I'm not no, mistaken. No, that's, that's it, dude. And then, you know, imagine if you're in the CRIF, like you're not just doing that with indigenous guys, like, you know, uh, smaller forces doing that with uh, whatever that country's tier one element is, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, man, we had high-level relations in these countries, you know, with ministers of national, you know, security. We had uh, chief of police for, like, entire country, like, meeting with them. You know, when I would go to these countries as a CRIF guy, I would go – to the U.S. Embassy, and instead of being like when I was a regular ODA guy, I had to wait outside of like the mill group commander's office to talk to some colonel. Like, well, okay, well, now I'm talking directly to the colonel, and I'm telling him like, hey, I want to talk to the ambassador, like, because it's part of our you know charter. We need to talk to the ambassador and talk about how we're going to respond to crisis if it comes, and who are you going to see? Right. You're going to see us, and we're going to we're going to manage this, and we're going to help you guys manage. We're also going to liaise with the partner force, the tier one element. So like. Venezuela or something like that mm -hmm. and like we're getting booted out of the country the embassy yep. we're getting evacuated the CRIF team is CRIF. the one that's going to go in there and help s secure yep. and evac and do all that stuff and that's and that's a that's called a national evacuation order a NEO and uh, basically with the CRIF role in that the CRIF role in a NEO is not like uh, general purpose forces so general purpose forces could be like the 82nd airborne they fly in like you know C-17s that they right. massive amount of people out 
it's like our job would be to come in and like get specific people out of the embassy, right? Right. Land, you know, like black, the black, ambassador. <laughs> yeah, like hey, let's go get the ambassador out. Let's go get like you know the country team guys out and their families. You know, put them on black helicopters and get them back to like the staging point to you know fly out. Um, so that was a big deal, you know. And it's it's funny you mentioned Venezuela because Venezuela is like one of those places where like we had to get you know we didn't actually have to do it, but you know we had to plan for that. You know, right. Venezuela was like kicking the American uh, contingent out of there. Like it, it wasn't welcome anymore. So, well, the only reason I said Venezuela is because I just watched season two of Jack Ryan. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what happened in the in the TV show. So mm-hmm. that that's what just popped into my head. Would it would it make you laugh to know that like for a solid two weeks, like the the force that was going to go in and help people get out was going like going to land helicopters in a spot where there was like power lines and it all it took was one phone call to somebody from an organization that we won't mention on this to know like hey you're not fucking landing helicopters there and then it was like <laughs> this whole plan had been laid out and they were missing they just didn't have that piece of like information and it's like hey i know the guy that works over here so we can have him call this guy and he can call us back on a secure line and he's like hey hey bud you're, you're not, not doing that you're not fucking landing helicopters right there <laughs> And we're like, we're not. And the boss was like, wait, we're not. And he's like, no. He's like, why didn't I have this information earlier? He's like, literally, because nobody picked the fucking phone up to call somebody. Right. Um, but you know, that's the thing about being in the Crift, man. You were tied into all these different like organizations, and it was truly flat com. So again, man, I I can't say enough of good things about Charlie Three Seven, man. It was, I mean, dude, that was, I, I basically got in that unit. I was there for almost 10, 11 years. I mean, wow. more than half of my army career was in Charlie Three Seven. And I got to be a part of some really, really cool missions, man. And, uh, you know, things that nobody will ever hear about, you know, and people, oh, you know, they didn't really get blown out or, you know, you didn't deploy the assault force, the Southcom is like, well, there was all kinds of other weird shit that went down, you know. We literally have U.S. forces in damn near every country on the planet. Like the hotbed of Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. isn't the only show in town. Mm-mm. So that's it's hard for people to know that. I mean, you know, and uh, I just always thought it was cool, man. You know, so definitely Charlie Three Seven was a good place, you know, and uh, that's where I ended. I was a uh, when I got there, I started off. I was in the assault force as an assaulter, and then I moved. And I was I became a cell leader, which I was in charge of five guys. Best job in the company, man, being a cell leader. Um, and then I became an 18 Fox, which is Intel. Okay. And I ended up going into the warrant officer program. I came back to C-37 after a little bit of time on a regular team, on a Halo team. And uh, I took over as a team leader. I was an assistant team leader and then uh, a team leader again. And then at the end of my career, I had a really good captain. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I worked for him and, and stuff like that. And he kind of helped me through my transition. So um, I got on a positive note. The best mission that I ever went on wasn't even a combat mission. It was a training mission down in Brazil with uh i talked about jesse rodriguez jesse rodriguez was a team sergeant and uh i was on 7332 or old days they call it 792 and the team was good man the team was so good the guys the guys that were on that team were guys that you look for to be in a in an oda like you know not the you can't tell me nothing they were sponges like you know they were ready to be wrong they wanted to learn they wanted to hang out with the local guys they wanted to work with the brazilians you know and uh on that trip, we ended up having uh, the Brazilian coach, which is the Tier 1 element in Brazil. Okay. And we had uh, the 160th helping out with us. Yep. Um, my ODA, and I had some guys from Fort Bragg come in and help out. 
And it was a bunch of us, dude. And we were flying around in black helicopters in Brasilia, landing on buildings and doing, like, you know, realistic, you know, missions on, like, realistic targets, you know. Uh, obviously doing UTM rounds and all that jazz, force on force. But you can imagine flying around a capital city in a black helicopter, <laughs> you know, fast roping onto a fucking, like, you know, a theater. I just want to fly on a helicopter. Jesus, man. <laughs> hey, I was the assault force commander, and I had, you know, my ATAC computer, and I was just like, hey, you know what? Uh, this is really cool. I don't know if I'll ever get to do this again. And, uh, you know, I was, like, thinking, of like, holy cow, man. So how, how blessed. And then working with Jesse, uh, we worked really well together. And we were, we were also in uh, my first SF company together, too. He was on a different team. But, you know, I've been knowing Jesse for a long time, man. And, dude, Jesse's awesome, man. I can't say enough good things about him. And uh, we just we had a really good team, really good vibe. And uh, that trip would go down as one of the best J-sets ever in seventh group history. The kudos coming from the embassy. You know, for what the guys did down there was just amazing, man. And I, I felt like, hey, you know, it's like that, you know, that fadeaway shot in basketball. Like, oh, shit, that was awesome. Is there everything after that? We got a new captain when I got back. So I took the assistant role. And then, uh, you know, all I did was, like, support him, you know, and which was good. You know, this guy was really, really good, you know, really good head on his shoulders. So it made it easy for me to transition, you know, which was freaking awesome. So, So did you have any, like – major setbacks in your career so you were a team leader to assistant team leader to back to a team leader was that like butting heads like no you know like it's not really and it depends like man. there's such a high standard for you guys like did you not meet a standard and you got set back or you got pulled from something like adversity in your career man, and like yeah. how'd you bounce yeah, back yeah holy shit yeah so i'm probably the only sf guy you'll ever meet that didn't get fired for getting kicked out of country <laughs> All right, you know, this is, you're like, wait, wait, hold on, time out. You got kicked out of the country. Yeah, dude, so um, I designed and built this mission for Trinidad Tobago from the ground up. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I've been to Trinidad a bunch of times, man, and uh, love it there, but there was, a, there was a terrorism problem, you know, that they had guys leaving from Trinidad and going and helping ISIS. Okay. Right, so, you know, for a long time we were studying that, that problem set, and what we had to do, we had to develop a program either – you know, train and equip or, you know, find a way to direct partner nation forces against these problems, you know, mm -hmm. in country. So I spent a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time after work developing this CONOP concept of operation, right? It's a plan. And um, sold it to Sock South, um, sold it to the Pentagon. Here it is. I'm a W1, right? It's a warrant <laughs> officer one. Like, I got this. You're the brand new guy on the yeah, block. Yeah, it's a great idea. And, dude, I was briefing everybody. I was briefing the fucking janitor at the gym. You know, I was briefing the lady at the PX. You know, everybody's like, hey, we're selling this mission. We need to do this. And uh, finally, it takes it gets traction. And uh, so we get we get down to Sock South. We brief. We brief everybody in the world. You know, saying it's about to get kicked off. And then uh, Sock South at the time had Navy SEALs in charge. It was uh, Admiral Green and uh, Frankie Franks. And if you don't know Frankie Franks, you know, they call him... Uh, Call him tank, man. You know, he's either fucking rolling over you or you're on top. You know, and uh, <laughs> you're man, along for the ride or man, you're, he's such you're a, already squished. He's such an asshole, dude. <laughs> but hey, he was great for the criff, you know, because he always used us. Uh, but you know, right at the last minute, I'm supposed to be the OIC for this mission, and then I get swapped out for a uh, 04 Navy SEAL uh, lieutenant commander, right? Okay. And this dude has no idea what is happening in Trinidad Tobago. He has no idea. So we go to. Uh, we got a brief JTTF, which is a Joint Terrorism Task Force uh, in Miami. They have a fly team that's responsible for uh, mm -hmm. Trinidad and, and the other places. 
and I'm I'm briefing, and he's like, oh, hey, I think it's my turn to brief. I was like, hey, sir, just give me a second, you know. I'll, I'll fill you in. And he has no – he's even been read into this thing yet. Um, he's super confused, you know. We get down, and uh, I've been to Trinidad. Shit, man. I think I've been to Trinidad by this time like ten times, right? I know all the, you know, the police guys. I know all the military dudes, all yep. high ups. And uh, and I'm trying to point to this guy. You have like, your hey. finger on the pulse. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, this guy's in charge. This guy's in charge, you know. And I'm talking to the guys in the uh, country team. I'm like, hey, this guy's in charge. Well, they keep coming to me. Yep. So because you've been the point of contact for dude. So that got me in trouble, man. That got me a lot of trouble. So, you know, here it is uh, down here in this mission. You know, and we're 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 targeting guys. You know, we're looking at these guys in country, and we're looking at guys over in the conflict in, zone, in theater, in the yeah, conflict yeah. zone. So I mean, this is tied. This is all connected, and. One day, this guy, he's like, hey, you're not authorized to talk to these people. I'm like, wait, I've been talking to these guys since, like, last year. Yeah. He's like, well, you should have gone through me. He's like, as a matter of fact, I'm going to send you home. He goes, I can't be in charge while you're here. And I was like, what? <laughs> wait a minute. What? Time out. He goes, yeah, you're going to go home. Uh, you're going to go work at uh, Sock South uh, starting next Thursday. You're going to fly out, and you'll be the desk officer for this mission. I was like, holy shit, dude. Really? You know, and in my mind, I'm like, you know flashing to like throwing this guy off a fucking you know a 10 story We're building yeah, yeah. I'm like nope nope okay yes sir cool and uh, i had two of my criff ncos there and they wanted to murder this guy dude and uh so i got kicked out of country you know quote unquote kicked out of country back to the desk and i'm supporting this mission from the desk and um you know what's funny about this is is that uh you know i end up going around doing a bunch of shit and I got kicked back in so I got kicked out and I got kicked in <laughs> you know and then all of a sudden like I'm the guy and they're like hey man you're the man I'm like what the fuck just happened like I don't know what's going on they're like oh man that dude was a piece of shit I was like okay you know so you know kicked out and kicked in sweet and, I, and, and it was hard because you know one of those things you know you think like holy shit what did I do wrong you know? exactly well you know too much you know you don't recognize the environment some people like that need to be recognized they want to be recognized you know, so what was I doing? I wasn't recognizing the environment, what I was in. So, yeah, I fucking paid the price, man. But um, I ended up going back in and doing some really cool stuff. Um, I ended up going in, doing some really cool stuff, and then shutting that mission down. Uh, or really just transitioning over to a different type of platform. And, and, it, and it worked out good. And, and it did. And then those guys, they ended up uh, arresting, like, I think, I don't know, maybe five or six guys in a network. At the time, the laws weren't good. Okay. Uh, they still had uh, British law, so they couldn't prosecute these guys. But we, the, our influence in country and our efforts changed national level policy. I mean, the law, you know, in a sovereign nation. So the operational effects of like, hey, did we detain this guy? Did we prosecute this guy? No. But we changed like the entire like law. The, w the way that it's going to happen from now on. Yeah. So that was really cool, man. Um, but again, adversity for sure, man. I was like, holy cow, man, I, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> and my boss, dude, my boss was like, Hey, fuck the Navy SEALs. I was like, hey, no, 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 no. We don't want to do that. Yeah. You know? And, uh, so, but my, my, uh, my major at the time, Dan Pace, he's like, yeah, dude, I, he's like, no, I support you, man. You're good. Your job's always going to be it. One more. Give me one more of these. And, uh, can I just get a, uh, a K9? So Thank you, man. So, yeah, so adversity for sure. And then uh, I went to Delta Force Selection, too, um, which, yeah, which turned out, like, good. It was good. And I think I think it's important to know, like, you know, guys who are in the military, like, you should try out for, like, special things. You should try out for special forces. You should try out for Delta Force Selection. You should try out for, 
you know, whatever the next step is. You should always put yourself in those positions. And uh, what it was was like I trained really, really, really hard for that, right? Thank you, man. And uh, when guys would get back from Delta Selection, I would used to think they were bullshitting me about getting hurt. Like, man, there must be a gnome up there with a the baseball bat in yeah. West Virginia. Just Busting kneecaps. Smashing kneecaps, right? And uh, so I went up there, man. And, dude, I think it was like I was in the third week, and I tore my meniscus on a Tuesday. And I, I did two more days on a torn meniscus, you know. And the <laughs> rucksack just keeps getting heavier, you know. Oh, yeah, and, for know, sure. I'm not going to say too much about it. But, dude, holy shit. I mean, what a test, man. And you, It's not even against other people. It's against yourself, you know. And uh, Like, do you have enough yeah, in you to yeah, keep going? Dude, and it was so professional, man, the way those guys do business. Um I was supposed to go back and end up, you know, that's when I ended up going to Warren Officer Course. But, you know, that's something else that I felt, holy cow, man. Like, I failed this. And every run, every ruck that I ever did after that, I was like, man, I could be in Delta Force if I just just a little bit faster than the day I got pulled, you know. Yep. You know, but, you know, I was injured. Uh, and I still have a, the same injury that I've never got surgery for. Um, but definitely, thank you, definitely some adversity, especially with the mental piece there. But, you know, and then um, – this is another really cool story. So this is the origin thing really more than anything else. So RIP is the uh, the course that you go to to become a ranger. Right. And uh, my friend and I, his name is Dante Ross, and uh, he and I were like top dogs in this, in this uh, course. And uh, we get all the way to the end, and we're at the swim test for RIP. You they're know? swimming at RIP? There's, yeah, so there's a swim test. They, they throw you off a, a diving board uh, with a blindfold on. you got to swim to the side. That shit's easy. That's nothing. And then they have uh, they throw you in at 15, uh, 15 yards. You got to swim fifteen yards with an LCE, mm-hmm. low carrying equipment like the belt, the old school stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and an M sixteen, and you got to swim like fifteen yards. Well, dude, at this time Dante and I, and we're you know we're best friends. Dante and I are like top dogs in this course, dude. We jump in and we make it five feet. We sink to the bottom. They throw us in three <laughs> times, and we're drowning. Like, dude, we're, like, drowning. It's like, oh, my God. They're like, hey, Ranger, you want to do this again? Like, roger that, Sergeant. You know, we keep going, dude. And it's, like, almost to the point of death. I mean, no shit, dude. Like, death. And, uh, dude, we get done, and Dante and I were just, like, super down. And I was like, man, we're not going to make it. So this guy is retiring. His name is uh, Sergeant uh, Command Sergeant Major Pertuz. I just got a message from my Ranger buddies chat. Sergeant Major command sergeant major Pertuz was at e7 back then he pulls us into the locker room and there was 10 other guys that failed the swim test i believe and he goes hey you two fuckers you failed the swim test roger we're like roger sergeant he goes but you guys are the top performers in the class he's like we're gonna keep you on dude there was no way like anybody else would have failed us we would have went to the 82nd or the third id or whatever mm-hmm. that guy gave us a pass and he goes but check this out he's like every day when you show up to regiment you're going to do PT with the guys, and you're going to go to the fucking pool. And, man, if he, he was not lying, dude. I went to the pool every fucking day. Every day. So did Dante. <laughs> and so when we went to Ranger School, you know, that's the same, the same test that we took in RIP. It's the same test you do in Ranger School. And we crushed it, dude. We crushed it. So, you know, hats off to that. I almost, wouldn't, I almost wasn't a Ranger in the beginning because of the swimming. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> you know? I mean, there's not many pools in West Virginia. Dude, right? holy shit. So, but, uh, so at what – Rank did you cross over to a warrant? So I was in E7 getting looked at for E8. Um, and when when I went, I think I was getting ready to get put on the E8. I was a shoe-in for E8. Like, it was easy. I pissed off people going warrant officer. They, I was supposed to be somebody's team sergeant in the, you know, in the company. 
and uh, which is cool. You know, being a team sergeant is fucking really cool, right? But it only buys you two years. Right. You, you can know. only do so much time before yeah. you got to go back and, and pay your dues. Yeah. So being a warrant officer was a great, you know, great thing, man. Six years on the team, man. You know, it was like fucking awesome. And I've got a, I've got a, a warrant buddy that's that's over at seventh now, Sam, and like. He did the same thing. He's like, yeah, I want to stay on team. You're Trevino, right? Yeah, Sam. Yeah. yeah, Sam. Sam did the right thing, man. Yeah, he got that. He's going to get six years on the team. It's going to be the right answer. I mean, it's a really good answer too. I mean, you get the best of all the worlds, man. You. You've he's been big and he's goofy and he's yeah, ugly yeah. as shit, and I love him to death. That and boy can shoot his ass off. And though. he can. He can. Yeah. Fucking shoot. Yeah, he's he's fucking hilarious. You know, we did forces commando together too, man. That dude's wild, man. Uh, you know, he's a bodybuilder as well, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, dude. You should ask him for his bodybuilding stuff. That dude can cut like nobody's business. He's ridiculous. Uh, Sam's a good dude. Um, but, yeah, dude. So, yeah, I finished out there, C-37, and then, you know, got me to the point of transition, which is, you know, I guess you want to talk about that a little yeah. bit. And, uh, so, yeah. like, when did, you, when did you know, like, okay, um, I'm ready to pull chocks? Was it, like, did you always just think I'm going to do 20 and, and punch or, like, was it your family influence? Because I met your family last year. Yep. Because not only was it your blackout or uh, Friday Night Lights shoot, but it was also your retirement party. Yeah, yeah. Like low-key, small. Like you did some really cool stuff. Like you had some guys that you'd been kind of training with and mentoring that were wanting to go to selection. Um, I think one of them was military. One of them was civilian that wanted to get into yep. it and go X-ray contract or, or whatever it was. But like, when did you know you were you were ready to pop smoke? So um, I thought I was going to stand for like at least twenty four years. I had this idea that I was going to stand, you know, at least twenty four years and and kind of go that route. Uh, I started RPGI on a kitchen table in Trinidad, Tobago. I want to say it was twenty nineteen. Okay. And the original, the original company was Range Project, and Range Project was a. Uh, I had a partnership with uh, some guys uh, out in, in Freeport, and it was a 40-acre range, and it was just a you know private range out there in Freeport. We we're gonna do this thing where we train and do all this stuff, and you know like hey, this is gonna be your stuff. Well, we had different visions, so I dissolved that company, and then in the midst of that, I started RPGI. So I was like, man, this is really cool, you know. And in RPGI, in, in theory. And concept, and it's been called different things, you know, ten years before. But I always had the idea to do this company, and I thought, man, what a what a great adventure, right? If I could do, you know, this kind of company that does these kind of things, mm-hmm. and then, and we can build the community. We could do, you know, what we're doing now, and um, so that's where I was. I started getting a glimmer of hope, like, hey, man, this is what it's going to be like from the outside. But you know, I'm an intel guy. You know, and I was an assaulter, and I was a, you know, a warrant officer, team leader, assault force commander guy at times. And, you know, I had all these options for government contracting. And I still am, like, signed up as a government contractor for a company. TS is still act, all that shit. Right. And, um, but I was like, man, can I make it without being part of, like, Uncle Sam, right? Right. And uh, I think that, we're all kind of scratching that itch. Yeah, dude, yeah. So it's like, hey, it's an... It's scary as shit. I'll be honest with you, man. It was scary as shit. But then I got this idea. I was like, man, you know what? I got all this really cool training. Like, I'm really good at networking and talking to people. Um, I'm going to give it a shot. So, you know, I started I started building on RPGI early on. And I was like, well, that 24-year thing started turning into, like, 22 years. And it was like, all right, 21 20 years. 21 yeah, years. I was like, all right. 
now we're like we're 20 years and just a couple you know what 20 years and six months i think i did yeah 20 years six months and it was like holy shit rpgi works you know like holy this works and i'll tell you man like once i had that idea i was like it was easier for me to say hey you know what i'm gonna retire I did, you know, all the disability stuff that you're supposed to do because your body's fucking trash. Your, you your guys' bodies are trash. I mean, like, you know. I got tinnitus. I got bad knees. I got a bad back. It's like, crazy. I'm not nearly as, as bad as, as other dudes, like, in the EOD community, yeah. like, missing arms and all this crazy stuff. Um, Desi out in, in Destin's, like, he's a considered a, a triple amputee, yeah. quad amputee if you count a finger or two. But, like shit's crazy man. yeah like it's nuts man. i ain't got shit to complain about i can walk up and i can wake up in the morning and stand up like you know i got the good life it's it's i was blessed man to get to get to where i was at i think i had the company developed um and i had enough shit wrong with me physically they were like the disability thing i kept telling people like, oh there's nothing wrong with me and then i go to doctor appointments like hey there's these things wrong with you oh by the way you got tbi oh by the way you got a uh, perforated disc in your back oh by the way your knees you're this, you're that, you're this. And I was like, holy shit. You know, by the time I got finished, I had 38 or 33 claims. Right. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. And the guy at the VA, you know, Herbie was like, like, no, dude, you're not you're good. You're not good. And I was like, wait, I'm not. And he goes, no, dude. And he's like, you got, you know, your doc is saying you got PTSD. He's saying you got TBI. Um, you know, you got this disc thing going in your back. Oh, by the way, are you still getting treatment for that? And I haven't, you know, in a while because it's very, like, painful. Uh, they get the shot in the back and they burn mm -hmm. the nerves, you know, right around your, uh, your disc. And, you know... You're sitting there thinking, like, holy shit, man. You know, I yeah, I guess I do got a lot of things going on. Yeah. You know, but by the time you do all that and you get out, you're like, okay, well, I got retirement plus this. So how can I live? You know, you can't stop doing things. You know, you can't just like, oh, my God, I'm going to go play Xbox. Or some of these guys, they do shit where they just sit around and watch TV. But you can't do it. You got to keep moving, especially in jobs like us. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's very important. You know, I did take – so, like, I I get a lot of flack from a lot of people – for a lot of negative self-talk, but I somewhat use it as motivation. But, like, I got two special needs kids. Yeah. Right? So when the kick uh, COVID kicked off, they sent me home for seven months. Yeah. I looked like you. I didn't shave. Yep. I didn't get a haircut for seven months. I stayed at my house for seven yep. months. Like, couldn't go to the range. Like, they're like, you can't do this this you can go get gas you can go to the grocery store you can go to doctor's appointments you can go to the pharmacy right like what are you supposed to do so i put on a lot of weight right and i'm trying to knock it off now right but like it's tough when you get older to oh, it is. lose weight it is like it's not like oh i'm just gonna like work out a shit ton and go on a bunch of runs and then eat clean like it takes longer when you're older yeah it'll destroy your body if you go for a long ass run right now like it'll Mess your knees up, your ankles, and all your back. Every, it's. I went for. I did a mile, and then I did another mile back to back. Like I stopped, because like I live in a cul-de-sac, so like I ran down, ran around the the point, and came back to the house. It's 1.3 miles, and I like walked the end of the cul-de-sac, came back to my driveway, and then like restarted it. And I was like, shit, my knee is killing yeah, me. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, it's tough, man. I mean, 19, 19 years. Yeah. Like, and granted, I have not done like the stuff that other people have done in our career field. But like, I'm just old, man. Like people age differently. It's a frame of mind too. You know, you got to think like, so the things that you used to do to get in shape are not the things that you need to do now. Like you, right. you know, the functional fitness, that's always a good thing. And then like, you know, sprints, sprints are awesome. Like, 
like the long distance running is super bad. Like at the end of the day, like at the older we get, we do like a bunch of long distance running. It's just not good. You could do your cardio in some other way, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bike, treadmill, jujitsu. Yep. You know, that's a whole body exercise. And it's also teaching the other things about your, you know, how to work your body. But, you know, those are the things that I've learned. Like, holy shit, I used to be a runner. Like I would go for like runs. I would win every PT event by running because I was a good runner, <laughs> you know, like now I'm just really good at sprinting and lifting heavy things. Right. You know, and that's kind of what, you know, what keeps me like healthy. Um, so th those are things, you know, and you know, whenever time they tell you they want to cut on you and all that shit, I was supposed to get, uh, you know, coming out, I was supposed to get surgery. Uh, they were going to go through my stomach and put a plate. Mind if I close your tab? No, you could, you can go ahead and close it. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Right on. Okay. Yes, ma'am. But, you know, you got to think they want to cut on everything. Oh, my God, I want to cut. I want to put this in there. So they wanted to put a fucking cage around my spine. And I was like, hey, you know what? Let's just table that for now, and then we'll come back to it. You right. Know? So those are things you got to look forward to. But, you know, um, really going back to, like, you know, 20 years, man, was it. RPGI was, like, booming. I had the matches, you know, kicking off. We had already started doing the training. Uh you know, those kind of things are like right. really made it like possible to get out. Because everybody wants to train with like a special forces. Because everything's yeah, special forces. It, it seems that way, right? You know, but when you're doing this shit, man, what I what I think is that there's a lot of guys who are special ops and all that running gun training. The things that I think, you know, there's some indicators. Like, who should you take training from, right? Yeah, uh, one when somebody's got a GM next to their name, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh shit, let me pay attention to that because that person, that means Grandmaster in the USPSA. And that's that's a that's a long that's a long uh, road. That's a long road. Yeah, you gotta, you know, sometimes you get match bombs, sometimes you get classifiers and all that, but you really gotta push it to get it. And GM and whatever it is you're shooting is it's a big achievement. So I look for that. Um, I look for people who don't drop the SF thing, you know, or the special right. ops thing. Like, hey, I'm gonna train you on fundamentals, and, and I'm gonna go through this, and they got a good personality. You show up to somebody's training, and then you know, one, they don't have a med bag, they don't make you sign a waiver. They don't have insurance, you know, and they're doing some random shit. And you're like, mm -hmm. wait, you know, so I always look for those things. I, I use those as indicators for good training. Um, but some people, you know, they, they throw that soft thing around and then, hey, let me just go out here and train you because I was, uh, you know, I went to the Q course. And like, ah, they don't really teach you how to shoot in the Q course, man. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but people, everyday folks don't really know that, you know, and I think it's important, you know. So what we offer, you know, at RPGI is like we have, you know, guys from special forces, we got government contractors, we got law enforcement dudes, we got competitive shooters, you know. So there's a slew of people that we can have at the at the training to get different flavors, but none of us really throw any of that stuff around. You Do know? you have long range, my type of long range guys? <sighs> Man, we were trying to work on getting a couple guys into it. I got a, a ranger uh, from Fort Benning that wants to kind of get in. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but. Would it by chance be Larry? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what his first name is. But I've had guys like, hey, do you got a long-range guy? Do you need help? And and the thing is, we haven't really came into that topic yet uh, in terms of, like, our training. But it's definitely on the, you know, on the horizon for us for, like, gun training stuff. Right. You know? So it, it's it's definitely a thing that I've been thinking about. You know, but I don't, man. Like, dude, I shoot out to, like, what, 500 yards. I'm like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, shit. exactly. I don't even right? know if I could do that right now, dude. I was, I was in an Altus match just having fun. And I was like – Man, I was shooting a target at 300 yards of mover. Mm -hmm. and I, I like, oh. Were you at a? Were you at one of the the long range matches? No, or it was, was a two, it was a two gun match. It was a two gun match, dude. And I was like, oh, I think I was shooting shit ammo, and like I zeroed my gun. I was like, man, you know what? I might need to get back into this uh, two gun stuff. And uh, man, I got I got waxed that day. 
But then the next day I had to go shoot the USPSA to get it out of my system. And go beat ass. I was like, all right, I'm a winner again. Holy shit. Okay. Well, eat. I felt I really wanted to go out after Friday Night Lights and go shoot the USPSA just to get that first stage yeah, out of yeah. my system because yeah. I shot it clean or I shot one FTE in like 120 seconds because I had like a double feed. Oh, with the, and it was the first stage, Waterworld? No, it was we started on stage three. Okay. Oh, okay. So like it was 30, 26 rounds or something like yeah. that. No mag change. But like I double fed. I was, I'd never shot under nods before. Yeah. Like I was like, I don't, that's not something I practice. I right. practice like my discipline, but your match was coming up. I liked shooting it. Like one of my buddies was supposed to show up, but he didn't. But like my other friend showed up. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was like, let's do it. Like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I want to I wanna shoot that match. It's a fun match. Yeah, we, we've been doing really good. I think that was our 18th night match. And uh, so we run matches. So just to kind of give you some perspective here, like my goal was to get out of the panhandle. So I went to uh, West Virginia. We ran a match up there. We've run two matches up there in West Virginia. Uh, and we run a match in Colombia, like in South America. Mm -hmm. We ran a match in uh, – we've run two matches in uh, – not Brazil, but uh, Trinidad Tobago. And uh, we got plans to, like, run matches in other places. So this match will, like, kind of migrate to different places. Right. And uh, the other thing that we got, you know, that we got going on, we did the training, we got the matches, and then we have this other thing. It's a documentary called Shooting International. Okay. And Shooting International is, like, Anthony Bourdain with guns. Oh, wow. And the thing is, we, not a lot of people know about it yet, right? So we have uh, – it's on the Panteo Make Ready platform. We're about to get it released for free because, like, I want the first season of Pilot to be free. You know, we went to, uh, like I said, we went to Colombia, Brazil, Trinidad, and uh, we go around. When we do shit like this, we drink beer, drink coffee, eat food, shoot guns, talk to people, you know, see what the the laws and the rules are in that country. Right, for, like, what the flavor is. Yeah, dude. And it's, dude, it's so interesting as an American. And then going back as a, as a previous soft operator, going into a country where you had a brown passport, now you're on a blue one. Right. And, like, you can't just carry guns, and the embassy isn't at your back. You know, Like, I've got a red passport, and I'm like. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's different, man. And that's that's out right now. I think we got the uh, the first episode is uh, for free right now on Panteo, but I'm trying to get everything I don't even released. know what Panteo is. Panteo is uh, – so Panteo was the guys that had, like, uh, Pat Mack on there. They had Bob Vogel. Um, all the training videos that used okay. to come out, like, they were the guys that were, like, filming that and putting that on. Okay. And uh, they've kind of dwindled down in the, like in you know recent you know recent history, but um, you know they they did a rifle video with me. It was a combat heavy rifle. Okay. Uh, that was a f one of the first things I did when I got out. Um, and then they did the post production piece on the uh, shooting international. Okay. So and then and then we're getting ready to wrap up Brazil. So I got to go do some like interviews for Brazil. And uh, so yeah, so that'll be a big thing. Um, but. So we did, yeah, dude. We do stuff here in the Panhandle. We do shit like in other states, and then we're international. So that little eye on the end of RPGI, yeah, you know, like that's for like going outside and doing stuff. So. Okay. So like, you had the idea in 2019. Mm -hmm. You got out in 2021. Yep. So you kind of worked on it for two years while you were still on active duty, trying to figure stuff out, see if it was viable. You got your disability. You transition. What did you find to be the hardest part of transitioning? Like, um, like, not just in general, but also like as a team guy, right? Because yeah. you're you're there every day. You're with your team every day. Yeah, like so it's 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 like a bad divorce, you know, getting out of the army. 
I'm be, getting out of the soft, man. It's like a bad divorce. It's like, you know, all of a sudden you got all this access to like, you know, doing this special cool stuff that has a purpose, has a, you know, you're making a difference, you know, on a operational strategic level in these countries. And now all of a sudden, like, boom, you're out. And you're like, holy shit. <laughs> you go from 100 miles an hour to yeah. negative. You know, yeah, and so for me, I just started stacking stuff up in the schedule. And the one thing to know, man, like when you get out, you know, your last paycheck, for example, your last paycheck is like, you know, maybe half of what it is. It depends on how many days are saved up and all that. But for me. Leave and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, like, I got out. I got a paycheck from the Army. I think it was like right at the end of December. So I got out January 1st of this year, was, or 2022, was like my first day of freedom yeah i didn't get a real paycheck from like disability and retirement until march wow dude so rpgi like having rpgi saved me like i went i did a government contract in costa rica all the matches all the training to like hustle 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 and then survive yeah mind you wow yeah so i got still so got all the three, bills three four months before you got your yes. retirement paycheck wow and that's a hard for the transition so for me during the transition it wasn't really so much like oh my god i, I gotta go do work like right now i got a red line make money pay the bills take care of the family uh and i got the farm too so i take care of the farm and run training and kind of get this thing kicked off did and you did you find like i don't want to get into like personal finance but did you find like would it be easier if you had a lower overhead as a family when you got out? Absolutely. Yeah, I would tell people that, that are getting out, you know. Like if you can be debt-free when you get out, like, you minus, like minus your mortgage. Virtually debt-free is like the way to go. So if you get out and you got credit cards, car payments, and all that stuff, you're just like, man, hey, you're, you're swimming, and you got like a 50-pound weight on your back kind of right. thing. So. For me, like I was swimming with like a hundred pound weight on my back. Right. You know, I got all the finances. I got the credit cards, the cars, um, and then the farm. You know, I got a mortgage on the farm. Yeah. Um, and it's not much, but you still got. It's that, still money. You still got money. You got to pay. So you're like, you start looking at things in like dollars and cents. And you're like, holy cow! So the idea, the ideal way to get out would be to be almost like you said, debt free. Got your mortgage right, and then now you can kind of get an idea of what you're doing and i said no to like several jobs you know we're like 90 100 you know some odd thousand dollars for the idea that rpgi because it was worked. gonna make it yeah yeah and it, and it and it did you know but you know there were some months i was like man i was doubting I'm like holy crap man you know this is a slow month uh right is this gonna be good and then boom somebody would sign up like hey i want to do uh this training and this training i got a group of 20 people you right. know and then i would go you know roll like 20 people you know couple thousand dollars I'm like all right thank god okay now we can make it till the next two weeks and uh but then once the disability and the retirement check came in i was like all right and i could breathe for a second and i could start placing stuff on the calendar well motherfucker i didn't do that <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know i was like redline 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 and i redlined all of 2022 through the matches through the training through shooting international you know i i filmed in three different countries right and ran God knows how many matches and God knows how much training. And at the end of the year, I remember I looked at one of my friends like, bro, ooh, I'm toast, man. I need to, I need I to, need to sl slow down. My op tempo was like Charlie, like Charlie three, seven style, like time five, you know, it was, it was crazy. So, you know, we I kind of figured that out this year. So now I don't take on anything unless it's like, you know, scheduled out. Right. You know, and I'm kind of like really, really like going through pre-planning quite a bit 
But uh, and then the other thing is, you know, so that's the first couple months. You know, then you think like, okay, well, the hardest thing is when you don't have, you feel like, what's my purpose, right? Mm-hmm. When you're working for Uncle Sam and you feel like you're doing something for God and country, like, holy shit, man, I'm doing this for the country. I'm doing this for my brothers to my left and my right. It's a hard pill to swallow when you wake up in the morning. It's like, man, I'm not going to go fucking defeat lunar terrorism on the dark side of the moon today. Yeah. And, you know, and helicopters you can't talk about. It. You're like, well, I'm going to go take the dogs out so they can piss and then make my coffee. Right. You know, and to find something to do, you're like, shit. You so know. it's almost like that. It's almost like that. I'm. I'm not I'm, like me personally. I'm not so important to the mission. Yeah. Like that, it can't go on because, like, as soon as you step out of that door, like the no. machine is still. They're the still the car go. is still driving down the road. It's You're just go, not dude. in it anymore. That's it. And and like, it's a hard, 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 it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, dude. And you're like, holy cow. You know, it's like. So, you know, I was trying to find that purpose. And I think it really hits guys, like, probably doesn't hit him at first. Like like I said, you know, you're trying to, like, find your groove, like, make money to support things. But, you know, probably for me, for me, specifically me, you know, it was about month number 10, maybe month number 9 to 10. I was like, man, you know, I'm listening to guys talking about going on, like, this kind of mission or that kind of Because you're mission. still talking to all your friends. Yeah, hell yeah. You're still yeah. talking to Ranger buddies. You're still right. talking to your SF buddies, your Criff buddies. You know, and I, you know, I got guys, you know, doing missions in other places, and you're like, man, holy shit. You know, how do I get on that? And like, oh, you can go apply for this. And I'm like, fuck, man, okay. You know, so, you know, I, lo- I love my life the way it is right now. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but, you know, it definitely makes you wonder, like, you know, I still got it. You know, okay, do I still got it? So, what I do now is that I replace that that high from like being the adrenaline high, yeah, and then the adrenaline and dopamine high that we like we basically chase it like in our career field all the time, like you know that's that's what we do. We're we're out there, we're running, we're gunning. Not necessarily at my career field, but like you're you're putting in work on a daily basis right. at the tip of like. Dude, National the guy, defense. The guys were fucking good, man. The guys in the company were really good. Um, I can't say enough about them, man. Like, like very well trained. Very, like I would say, and I would say that underutilized too, uh, to the most part. But you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. So like, you know, what do you do? You replace it with something else. So competitive shooting was a savior for me. It's right. therapy for me. And and I think that like, you know, getting out, you know, and like, hey, you got PTSD, you got TBI. Like, well, dude, give yourself something you could control for at least 30 seconds at a time or 60 seconds at a time on a course of fire. And that's competitive shooting. Right. You know, so I feel like whenever I tell veterans, like, hey, man, you know, what are you doing? You're like, oh, well, I'm kind of bored. I got this. Out. Like, dude, go out there and shoot a match. Go hang out with the guys. Like, you know, cut loose, shoot some rounds or whatever. Right. And uh, it helps people quite a bit, man. And it's crazy to see that, like the effect that a match like or, or being in part of a community would have on a veteran right you know you, you make a new friend you know i not to cut you off i feel more at home in the precision rifle community than i do in my actual job absolutely dude absolutely i mean that's kind of you'll find guys you know we had a good time where we had i think we had like 12 guys in a company competing and they got it they could dig it They're like man this is really cool you know, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's like that anymore. Uh, but, you know, if you look at that and you use that as like a, a gauge, like, holy shit, if everybody did what we do, like in terms of like competitive shooting, like getting out there, think about how badass they'd be, they would be in the military. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks that special forces guys are like Jason Bourne. They could shoot 
the fucking wings off a fly at 10 right. yards, right? Well, dude, you'd be surprised to know that most SF guys, I mean, brand new guy at the Q course, you know, unless you teach him how to shoot that pistol, he's not going to be able to shoot that pistol the way you think he is. Right. You know, and um, that's where I think, like, having the guys come together for, you know, shooting matches, even just a local match, USPSA or something. Right. Like, it, it's good, and it'll take that guy, and it'll take him to the next level. That's how, for me, I became a very good shooter in the unit was going and shooting competitions. Matches. And then I would come back and just wreck shop. I mean, like, I think that's the reason why we don't see a lot of military in my specific PRS realm. I don't see a lot of military dudes shooting. Mm-hmm. Is they don't necessarily want to know what their capabilities are and are not. Right. Because, like... Oh, I'm a sniper in XYU unit. Right. Like, I'm the top shit. But then you go out to a US or you go out to a PRS or an NRL match and you get skull drag. Right. And you're like, oh shit. Well, you know what this is com- this is one completely different right. from from what I'm doing, but I'm not. It's not a two way way two way range. That's what and that's the thing, man. Like I remember. So the first time I shot a match, outside of like this, the military match, I did this thing called Forces Commando. But I shot in Colombia, and I remember, um, <laughs> dude, I remember well, this wasn't like the first match, but this was like one of the matches. Well, I remember I shot with I was at DEA, and I had some FBI guys, and we were shooting in Colombia. And uh, I watched this kid look like a he looked like a Hispanic Harry Potter, and his name is uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, Gallo Moreira. Like he was wearing skinny jeans, he had glasses, and I was like sizing him up as an SF guy. And I was like, man, this guy, who is this guy, right? And this dude shot this stage so fucking fast. I was like, holy shit. And then my my instinct was, well, and the DEA guys, well, I'd like to see him do that in a two-way firefight in combat, you know. Just let you know we're ready to vacuum. That's our last thing before we leave. No worries. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, you know, to wrap it up, and, like, I think the more guys that do this, the better, you know. And, and if you're transitioning, competitive shooting is a way you could find community you could find people who can relate to you. Like, you'll probably find another veteran. You know. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't think you can go to a match and, like, throw a stick and not hit somebody that served. Right. And it's just really good. And it and it gives you, like, I, I told somebody today, I was like, man, this is like therapy for me. You know, instead of going and sitting down and talking to somebody about all my problems and stuff, I go to the match, you know, you know, kind of joke around a little bit. Take some, you know, take some of the stuff serious. Maybe do well, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then feel good about it, you know, and to be around other guys and, and folks like yourself. So it's a uh, it's always a good thing, you know. And then the last thing on transition is like, man, you know, um, you you got to find a way to plan. You got to plan things. So like, when you transition, like you have to make a plan for the year. Make a year plan instead of making like a plan for the next week. So right. plan ahead for about a year and put stuff on the calendar, you know, and fun things too, not just shooting or anything like that, but like, you know, hey, I'm going to go take this trip. I'm going to do this trip. I'm going to go uh, do a run a race, a right. 5K, you know, find a community where you can like kind of get involved and stay involved with people. Like Redback One, like yeah, there dude. are a bunch of like pro yeah. military dudes that run. There's, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff. But you got to stay busy. So if you if you step back into your turtle shell and you don't get out there, like it's a very dark place. And I know a lot of guys like that that 
went dark and you're like, hey, man, let me help you out. And, I literally you know. experienced it today. Like my whole block was swatted off this morning and I was trying to get my mm-hmm. my next door neighbor who's a veteran to like not get shot by the cops. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard, man, you know, because you, 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 a lot of people think that people wanted to come home from Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, I, I don't know anybody's going to say this like on, in public, but I'll say it. Dude, the American military didn't want to come home from Afghanistan. Nope. You know, there isn't shit to do right now. I know we're wrapping up, but that was one question I kind of wanted to. There ain't shit to do right now. Yeah. You know, the, the new age guy in our business, you know, and I, I say EOD, I think EOD is a lot like soft, and I would. More, more than once, I think I've said, hey, EOD is basically, they're soft. I don't know if you guys count yourself as soft, but I always counted you guys soft because the EOD guys in the stack dip, with dip, us in the crib. Are like, depends, on, depends on the unit. Right. Like more Navy and Army, mm-hmm. right? But, like, we got dudes in our shop that went to MARSOC Level 1. We yeah. got another guy that's going to MARSOC Level 1. We've got one of my close personal friends. He was my team member when I was in Kuwait. He is the first graduate of Ranger School oh, as awesome. a, as an EOD tech. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. Lee, and he went and did bomb um, uh, bomb techs without borders. No, nah, that's awesome. And was in Ukraine for like six months. Oh, sick! Yeah. Or three months or whatever it was. Yeah, so the guys need something to do, man. I, I would I would say that. Like, so you know, so we talk about veterans and all that, but dude, the guys are in right now. They're the future, and it, and it's really bad for you guys, man, because like all the politics and all the stuff jammed down your throat. And I don't want you to respond to any of this because I don't want you to get in trouble, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I can say this shit because I'm a retired guy. But, you know, you guys, your struggle is a lot more different. I got out just in the nick of time. and I, You did. And I, and I feel like, you know, I took the vaccine because I wanted to go to Columbia and it was a requirement. Thank God I haven't died from this shit yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you guys are in a really trying time, you know, with this administration and uh, – you know, so you guys, you know, though the struggle is not the same. It's not like, oh, my God, you know, we're deploying, we're deploying, we're deploying. It's like, holy shit. Hey, if you're not green across the board on the readiness, you're trash, dude. Yep. Forget it. You're the best runner, the best shooter, the best uh, operator in your field. Like, if you're not green across the board for readiness right now, you're trash. Yeah. You know, you, you get a phone call. I think know? that's where we're at, right? I think that's the direction that we're going. And, and that's, that's the wrong answer. Our American military right now right now is in, in, a, it's in a spot where like all the guys like us we got operational experience right all the guys got operational experience they're, they're leaving right so how soon will it be until you have nobody that's ever been to Afghanistan on a real mission or yep. Iraq on a real mission and it's all these guys who garrison folks that are worried about green checks it's going to go it's going to go back to pre 911 yeah. where it was a garrison military right. with no combat experience besides Grenada Panama yeah like, dude, it's dangerous. It's a very dangerous place. So, it's a I, weird thought. It's a dude, and I, I'm sorry, man. I hope to God, you know, I don't know how long you're gonna stay in, but you know, three more years. Yeah, hit it's, my it's, high ten, and then I'm out. It's tough, dude. It's tough for you guys, but you know, I, I got out just in the nick of time. You know? <laughs> so, and you know, if you were at my retirement match, you probably saw me. Um, and, I, and a couple people said this. They looked at me and it's like, hey, you know, you know, we, we know. We know you got a big brain, and I think a lot of shit. Two minutes. You know, I I think about things a lot. I'm very uh, I'm a very intellectual person, and I I overthink shit quite a bit. So the night of my retirement match, which was the last night in the army, you know, people they couldn't get a gauge on me, and they're like, "Man, we don't know if you're sad or happy 
or this or that. And I can't. Re- I can't imagine retiring and putting on a match the same day. I love putting on matches. For me, yeah. that's like that's my therapy, man. And it's tough, by the way. You know this shit already. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, having was, a match on the twenty first. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was a little bit of everything. It was a cocktail. Yep. It was a cocktail of uh, happiness, depression, you know, excitement, nervousness, you know, fear. Um, you know, and love for my like my folks, you know, and the team, Team RPGI, all the guys that help out and and everything, and all the support and all that, and and uh, man, it was just like holy shit, it's over, dude. You know, mm-hmm. it's over. You know, it's like that moment when the ramp goes down in the fucking aircraft and you got to jump, and the fucking jump master gives you to go, and now here it is, you're about to go belly to earth and fall to your death, and you know, unless you could pull your fucking unless your shoot open, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, fuck, that's it. You know, and. Uh, you know, and I thought no better way to get out than run a match, have people get together, kind of tell the story a little, just a little bit, you know, and then... And, kind of thinking about doing that for my retirement. You should, dude. You should totally just do it. Just run a match. Just run a match and then have people come up and celebrate your 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 career and have fun shooting a match. And matches are a great place for that. Matches are community, man. That's what it is. So, you know, it's like throwing a party, man. Mm-hmm. It's just with shooting guns. That's all that shit is. Exactly. So... Anyways, yeah, the beer's been good, man. I think these guys are trying to kick us out. What are your parting shots? Mm. What's your parting shot? So. Whether it be for the young guy coming up in either the Rangers or coming up in SF or the guy that just got out of the military, what's your parting shot? So I would say this, like, one thing that I would – I kept volunteering for everything. Like, I volunteered, I volunteered, I volunteered, and I – the Army never chose anything for me. Like, I never – I never waited for the sergeant major to tell me I was going to be doing this or that, right? Mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to volunteer for these things, right? And the other thing that I did was that I, I always prepared. Preparation is key. Um, and I learned that early on as a football player. Like, you know, that wasn't an Army thing. That was that was a, a football player thing. One of my coaches was like, hey, preparation is key. So if you're prepared, if you're always prepared, you know, you're going to be fine. And then showing up on time in the right uniform in the right place, man. <laughs> Holy shit! If you could show up, <laughs> the right place, the right time, in the right uniform. I tell the, I told all the new EOD guys, and the, I told them that. Just be standing there looking at me as a leader, and don't be a leadership challenge. You know, be somebody that knows the next step. You know, in Team RPGI, I use the whole thing with CQB, right? CQB, find work. It's a quote, you know, that we say, you know, yep. like, hey, find work, find the problem. Right. So it's like, you don't don't show up and like, hey, chief, what are we doing? Uh, what what's the next step? Like, hey, dude, I'm gonna give you some guidance, and I want you to go do work. And then when you need help, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. Right. And, and I and I do a lot of that with my staff. You know, my staff they anticipate what I want. Basically, I give out like, hey, these are the stages we need set up. These are the things we need to do. This is the training we're gonna do. All right, cool, man. Hey, go out there, find work, and uh, be somebody that can be an asset, not a liability. If you become a leadership challenge, then you need to find another job. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I need to tell you every single thing you need to do, then you need to find another job. Yeah. Especially in our field. Like, if you're, you know, in the regular military and you're trying to learn yourself, I'm sure. But, like, if you're somewhere special or, like, EOD or something like that, you need to be, like, on it. Yeah. You know, you need to be prepared. You need to be thinking ahead and all that. And then get educated. The military will educate you if you just ask them to. Like, they will literally pay for all your school, man. They will. Yeah. And and uh, don't 
don't fail that shit because you have to pay all that money back, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. So, so where can people find you? Where can they find RPGI? So we have a Instagram page. It's RPGI underscore official. Um, and then we have a YouTube channel, RPGI channel. Um, and then our website is RPG-international.us. And uh, that's where we have our calendar, our training. Okay. And if you're a match guy, if you're into shooting competitions, you can search out RPGI under clubs and you follow the club on uh, practice score and in all the matches we're doing you can find okay. everything um, okay. and then last but not least shooting internationals on Panteo Productions website it's on the Make Ready TV platform um, episode one for Columbia is actually free and then the remaining episodes uh, two through six will be free as well um, starting in February okay awesome cool, well man. once again I super appreciate you sitting down with me yeah. um, I haven't had I've had an army guy on, but I haven't had an army SF guy, ranger guy yeah. on. Um, and outside of the precision rifle right. world, so greatly appreciated. And I'll see you at the next match, buddy. Yeah, buddy, thank you. Awesome, thanks. Yep.